0: Hi, everyone. I'm Alan Combs. And I'm Christine Porch. Welcome to Shelter in Place. Today, we'll be talking to Carla Sawyer, who is a chaplain at a hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. Let's hunker down. Today, what we, we want to talk a little bit about is um, sheltering in place in a place that a lot of people are seeing in the news in certain perspectives in terms of health care and in terms of the challenges that are going through that. Um, but there's a lot of information out there that's available with regard to statistics and with regards to what people are, are needing in terms of um, the physical apparatuses involved in uh, healthcare, but I think today what we want to focus on is a little bit more uh, about the experience of that. I think that's sort of kind of where we're headed with uh, with our guest for today.
1: Yeah. So later we're going to be speaking with a hospital chaplain in Jacksonville, Florida, who is um, Jacksonville. Uh, as she will discuss later, is is not really hitting a, a peak of COVID nineteen right now. They're kind of on the that sort of um, preliminary sort of ramp up in terms of preparation. Um, so it'll be interesting to chat with her about that. It'll be interesting to chat about it in her particular role, which is to kind of be that safe space.
0: Right. I wonder, And I'll, I'll be interested to hear a little bit more about what that's like, just because in my, in my own work in ministry, right, I'm getting, a, I get. we've talked about this before, I get a little bit of taste of that in terms of <clears throat> visitation, uh, visiting people and, and not being able to physically visit, visit them, but having to call them, on the phone, but also even funerals. So I've done mm-hmm. two funerals since this started, and one of them was outside, and so it was sort of distanced outside, but then uh, the one I did the other day, you know, it, it was in the Funeral Home Chapel, but the the chairs had to be distanced from each other, um, you know, and so and most of the attendees were, were attending by live stream, um, you know, in terms of people's experience of not being able to be physically present with each other when they are dying, I think is, a, is something to think about. So, uh, it'll I'll be interested to hear from Carly kind of what, what she's seen up close with that uh, in terms of her work in the hospital.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that happened this week was that one of my best friends from middle school, you know, my, my whole life, um, her grandfather died we had just gone to see, I don't know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. And it pained me to think about that, right? It pained me to think about the fact that they were not able to like, you know, have the full funeral, right. That they would have right. for him. Cause he was so loved.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and not only loved, but he was a war hero. He had all of these things. Right. That That's were actually
0: just... a thing I was going to point out is that I thought was, that I was really touched by the other day, um, was that the, the funeral I did the other day, the gentleman had served in the Air force, force and right. And I think all, a lot of veterans, right. Part of what they, they look towards in terms of their death is that ability to be able to have uh, military honors, and the military is just not doing that right now, and so what ended up happening was the sheriffs um who were going to accompany um the body to where it's going it was going to lay It wasn't going to be in in our town it was going to be somewhere else um that, that they they undertook that work and I, for me, that was actually very meaningful and powerful to sort of see them step into that role and to to give the honor that I think was important to the person who died but also to his family to be able to still have sort of what you would, a little bit of what you expect to be like. I, I just, it, for me, what was powerful about it was was watching them sort of step into that gap and, and make a difference for that. That was moving for me. From from her, I mean, I don't want to say it was more moving than normally when you see military honors, but there was a sense in which people were sort of stepping into a, a space uh, that needed someone to be there in a way that that was different than sort of what we were accustomed to. And so, I, I do think that's something sort of to sort of think about in terms of dealing with that kind of, um, those kind of moments during this time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think some of it's just about losses, right? Like we are experiencing these weird losses that you didn't really expect to experience. You know, like I didn't think initially when the whole COVID-19 thing ramped up, I didn't think, oh, funerals are going to (laughs) suck. right? Like that was not something on on my, like was not first on my list. But then as soon as all the mandates went into place, it became very clear very quickly that like, Oh my God, that really sucks if you're a family member and you're not able to celebrate the close of of your
0: loved one's life, right? The right. same way and, you might have. And and part of it, right, is that like we I'm, are being uh, really <laughs> depressive. Yeah, we really heavy. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, I thought I think you think about it, like part of what you see is is right that the the services that I've done are are not for people who've passed away from COVID 19. And so right. but there's so the so it's you know, there, that's the other thing, right? Is like people are still getting sick and they're not getting sick because not everybody is getting sick because of COVID-19. And so it'd be interesting to hear Carly talk a little bit more also about just um, what are you doing with all the regular, the regular cases of people who come to the hospital while you're preparing for this other thing? I think that's a a big part of the challenge uh, for that conversation is, is that other things that normally happen are happening. And then you've got this extra layer of sort of grief, sort of communal, generational grief on top of it.
1: Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting too, to talk about like the resourcing issue, because I've followed that pretty closely. Like where are we getting resources from? What are the concerns that healthcare staff have about that? Because I don't really, um, I, I, I tend to listen to folks who are in the industry that they're in, right? Like I don't tend to like care a lot, what a particular journalist might be saying about that particular industry. It's always interesting to hear things like that emergency room doctor that I think one of you guys, either you or Morgan, sent that to me, the emergency room doctor in, in Queens, maybe, that yeah. did, a, did a video that was like, you know, from her perspective. And that was really, it was much more insightful and much more in, in many ways emotional to watch that than it is to to hear it sort of through the filter of journalism. Not that there aren't amazing journalists out there doing amazing work. Um, and so it'll be interesting to talk to Carly about how that's looking in a hospital that isn't overwhelmed right now with COVID, right? That is that is sort of
0: waiting for this, the yeah, possible surge. And
1: preparing for it, right? And what anxieties are there that we weren't talking about four weeks ago in New York, right? Like, I mean, we were talking about it, but we really weren't, right? We, we were still in like la-la land in terms of what this was going to look like, right? It, four weeks right, ago.
0: Right, I think that's right. So it'd be interesting to hear what Carly says, and we will uh, find out more from her about what's going on uh, in her experience and her hospital uh, after our break.
1: SipTequila.com is a curated collection of high-end tequilas that can be shipped directly to your door. From crystal clear Blanco tequilas to older tequilas aged for six years in red wine barrels, SipTequila.com has something for everyone, novices and aficionados alike. Their white glove delivery service gets the bottles to you safely and securely with their very cute lids wherever you are in the United States. When your bottle arrives, follow along with their tasting notes and education for the full agave experience. Shop, ship, and sip with SipTequila.com. Mention that you heard this on our podcast with code SHELTER, S-H-E-L-T-E-R, and you'll get free shipping. com.
0: Welcome back to Shelter in Place. We are here with Carly Sawyer, who is a chaplain at a hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. We're going to let Carly tell us a little bit more about herself. Carly, how are you today?
2: Uh, thanks, Alan. I'm doing all right. You know, I think hanging in there like all of us are. So, yeah, I'm a, a hospital chaplain serving a local uh, not-for-profit health system in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, normally, during the non-COVID times, I am the uh, adult neurosciences chaplain, which means that I serve uh, three different clinical units, the sort of neurosurgical floor, the stroke floor, and then the neuro ICU. So that's what my ministry looks like in a uh, regular time.
1: How does it, how do they break up the, I mean, how many chaplains are there and how do they divide?
2: So it varies uh, hospital to hospital and really just depends on how they have it set up for us. You know, I was hired on specifically to be the chaplain for the adult neurosciences program. We are a comprehensive stroke center. So we, hospital is currently putting a lot of emphasis on our stroke program and our neurosurgery neurosciences Uh, We also have a residency program here with clinical pastoral education. So the residents are assigned clinical units that aren't being covered by staff chaplains like myself. So it it just depends. Most people cover units within a certain service line or type of works. We have one chaplain for the surgical services, one chaplain for the heart hospital, different pediatric chaplains in the children's hospital. So that's kind of how it breaks up by service line.
0: So that's what it looks like normally. So you said that it's changed some during the during the time of COVID-19. So how has your ministry in the hospital changed uh, during this time?
2: So it's very much a a day by day kind of thing. Um, What we've settled on right now is currently myself and the Heart Hospital staff chaplain are rotating a week on and a week off in terms of physically being in the hospital building. So for example, this week I've been working from home, trying to figure out what exactly a hospital chaplain does from their house in ministry. So it's a lot of calling patients and families, um, participating virtually in interdisciplinary rounds and just being available and working on programming. We're working on writing. Reflections that are going out over the loudspeakers of the uh, different campuses of the health system. We're working on reflections that are going in the daily COVID updates. And then when I'm in house, so next week Monday through Friday, eight thirty to five ish, uh, I will be the only chaplain in house for the adult hospital. So it's a oh, wow. lot. Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> a much more broad um, coverage area. I still spend time in my units with my nurses, but I also walk around and check on all of the other floors as well, particularly the COVID units.
1: Tell us a little bit about where your hospital is located, what the metropolitan area is like, what that looks like, what the sort of community response has been within the, either the smaller healthcare community or the sort of larger metropolitan community.
2: So my health system is located in the city of Jacksonville. My particular hospital, um, we have several campuses. I work at the downtown campus, so it is in downtown Jacksonville. Jacksonville is an interesting place. It is, I think, the largest city by square mileage in the U.S. So it's very spread out city, but we do have a kind of an urban core downtown area, which is where my hospital is located. It is also a Navy town. We have a very large naval air station. Um, nearby, so strong military community as well, strong senior community, just by being located in Florida, a lot of folks retire down here. With Jacksonville being so large, there are pockets, there are a lot of different neighborhoods. and there are, are some neighborhoods that are very poor. and so you get a lot of people you know who don't have a whole lot of access to health care um, until they get to the hospital, don't have insurance, things like that. So we do deal some with um, certain underprivileged populations
1: how anxious is everyone feeling?
2: I would say people are pretty anxious. I mean, you walk, you know, down the street, or um, even in the grocery store, and you kinda kind of see it in people's eyes that they're, that they're scared. They know, you know, kind of like I mentioned, they're, they know that we're not New York, but that we might be that, you know, obviously, we're different cities, but there is a pretty high level of anxiety. A lot of businesses are very concerned about Being able to stay open, um, a lot of restaurants and bars and places that work in the hospitality industry that, you know, with people not being able to gather, they're worried about closing. So there's just a lot, a lot of anxiety kind of on a a global level.
0: So I think a lot of times people, when they think about hospital chaplains, they think about the ministry with the patients. What does your ministry to the staff look like during this time?
2: Uh, Yeah, right now um, it's a lot of holding the anxiety of the staff. Um, I tell people patients and staff alike that, you know, one of my jobs as a chaplain is to kind of be a bucket to hold all of their stuff for a little bit. And then when I'm done holding it, they get to take it back and decide what they want to take and what they want to leave. So right now it's a lot of checking on staff, helping them process what's going on. You know, a lot of them are worried about access to PPE, things like masks, uh, gowns, gloves, face shields, things like that. Also about their own families, you know, what am I bringing home to my people and their own health as well. But also it's hard caring for patients in an environment where their families aren't allowed in Um, for the most part. You know, the patients are anxious, staff are anxious, and so helping to manage all of the collective anxiety that just kind of seems like it's floating in the air in this place particularly since we are not in the, any kind of surge yet, like a uh, place like New York.
1: Well, and what is the concern about a surge? Like, from given that you all are not experiencing it the way New York is, how what does that look like at your hospital?
2: A lot of preparation, you know, sort of by the calculations that we've had so far. We think we may be a couple of weeks sort of behind that. So we are planning as if we will anticipate a surge soon. But we're not there yet, so it's a lot of making sure we have the right procedures in place, kind of streamlining all of those processes so that when we anticipate the system might get stressed, it is ready to handle that stress as best as it can be, which we all know is imperfect because we've never done this
0: before.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, I don't think anybody's done this before, healthcare or not.
0: So in terms of just talking about anxiety, you said earlier in terms of the anxiety you're experiencing with the staff and, and folks at the hospital, and you tell them, you know, they can share uh, what they have, put it in your bucket, and you'll hold it for them and they can pull out what they want. Um, that leaves you carrying the bucket full of things um, that they leave. So what is it, what does it look like for you to deal with with that bucket? How do you empty that bucket?
2: Yes, so that's, that's the big thing, right? I need to make sure that when I leave for the day, I empty my bucket so that I don't have to lug it all the way home. And so for me uh, as a minister and as a chaplain, that's been a big part of my personal development, figuring out how to do that. I love my cat. I was blessed with probably the most affectionate cat on the face of the planet. It's really actually quite bizarre. So she helps me de stress. I've been going on walks a lot with this uh, pandemic situation going on. That has helped me a lot in terms of both getting some exercise, getting some fresh air, some vitamin D, just to help kind of decompress and let that bucket go once I get home from the hospital. Because, you know, we all, We all say this, and very few of us practice it, and I know I do it imperfectly myself, but we can't care for others if we're not caring for ourselves. And so that's definitely been a, it's been an exercise in adaptability, for sure, with this crisis.
0: Right, and in mentioning your cat, one of the questions we always ask people is who you're sheltering with. Is your cat the primary uh, being with which you are sheltering?
2: Yes. Yeah, so I am sheltering with my seven-year-old calico cat named Stella. Uh, we share a one-bedroom apartment, uh, thankfully not too far from the hospital and also not too far from the St. John's River, where I do um, walking after work and on days when I'm working from home.
0: So, yeah. So that's, I think in terms of folks we've talked to, you're one of the first folks we've talked to in terms of who's not living with other humans during this. So what what is that, what is the experience of... I mean, you've only lived in Jacksonville for a few months too. So, what? I mean, what's your? Ex- yeah. So, what's your experience of, of that? And sort of, um, you know, are you feeling isolated, or or how how are you sort of living through that?
2: I would say it's interesting because it's a yes and a no. As an extrovert, I so miss being physically around people. I'm thankful that since I work in the hospital, I do still get to see people in person. But I have spent more time virtually with certain groups of friends that I have, you know, probably in years. You know, my my group of friends from college, we get together and we play games over um Zoom, maybe once every other game.
0: Week. Let's just let's just put it out there. What game are you playing? You just say it out loud. Say it loud and say it proud.
2: We actually don't play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh I thought together. you were in Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Because <laughs> I found this out about her the other day. She was listening to a D podcast. <laughs>
2: I do listen to D&D podcasts. They are also <laughs> my friends in this pandemic. No, I wish I played D&D with them. I haven't found anybody to play with recently. I've mostly just played with my siblings.
1: We have such a broad audience. I'm pretty sure that <laughs> there will be calls coming in immediately yeah. after this podcast. Right. Yeah, I'll, yeah, just, yeah. I'll just put
2: something on Craigslist in search We're of real- people who are who are cool and not weird to play Dungeons and Dragons with. Yeah, because when I sent, her,
0: I sent her another episode of the podcast just to see kind of what it was going to be like to be on there and just get it out there. And <laughs> she's like, I'll listen to it when I'm done listening to this D&D podcast. And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what? Can I get? So tell, me, tell me more about that. So
2: <laughs> I knew you were a nerd, but I didn't know that much. Yeah, so we've been playing uh, Jackbox via Steam. It's that one funny game with different mini games, and you can kind of play from your phone. It's great. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But my friends from college that I don't get to see that often, we've been doing this maybe every week, every other week. So in that sense, I'm actually getting to connect with people that I don't normally spend a whole lot of time with more. So it's interesting in that way.
0: Yeah. One of the other things you like to do is to is to swing dance, right? So uh, So how are you coping with not being able to go out and do that?
2: Yeah that's definitely hard. Um, I've been doing uh, Lindy Hop and other vernacular jazz dances for about eight and a half years now which feels weird to say because I feel like I just started in a way. I kind of jokingly the other day posted a video of myself using a uh, Band, like those big stretchy rubber bands yeah. that you use in physical therapy. Uh, I, I shut it in the door of my closet remember my, my uh, pantry in the, fr- in, the um, in the kitchen. And just kind of danced with it, and you know, actually worked pretty well. So maybe I'll no, try I that again. saw your video. Again. It looked
0: good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looked like you. Yeah, yeah, you looked like you were doing doing what you needed to. So you know, I saw the video. It was good. So it was, it was
2: deceptively very hard because you had to lead and follow at the same time, oh, and yeah. that's it takes a lot of brain power. I was tired after that. So that's
0: sort of like, know, a, like a like like a heavy thought for these times, right? Is to lead and follow at the same time.
1: So Carly, we're on the spectrum, like from, from a community that feels sort of fractured to a community that feels whole and sort of self-supportive. Where do you feel like the, the hospital community that you're serving is on that range?
2: I would say somewhere in the middle. It's um, with us being on the early side of what we anticipate may be a surge. I think we're all gearing up and we're ready to go, but nothing's happening yet. So that anxiety is just kind of getting stalled for a period. And at the same time, because we all have this collective work together, fight together mentality, but not a whole lot to handle yet, there's a really interesting thing going on with morale in the hospital right now. There is a heightened sense of unity, particularly within staff. You know, every health system has their has their stuff that's going on. But with within particularly nursing staff, you know, we're really honing in and taking care of one another. I was part of a, uh, when I was on call the other night, I was here overnight and I was on my neuro ICU and came across a group of nurses and they were filming this music video thing that I somehow ended up getting roped into. So people are finding ways to um, to have fun and levity and unity amongst all of the kind of madness and building anxiety that hasn't necessarily become productive yet.
1: So how do you see marginalized communities um, being affected from a healthcare perspective in this early sort of pre-surge period that you're you're describing?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, as, as we're seeing this unfold on a national level, you know, there are data coming out about how persons of color and persons of, you know, quote, lower socioeconomic status are being disproportionately affected by the virus, whether it's due to things like public transportation, relying on lack of access to adequate health care before getting sick. You know, people who have pre existing conditions like heart disease, diabetes, that they're not, because of lack of insurance or other financial means, have not been able to get adequate preventative care, are making them, once they get sick, be sicker. And so that is definitely something that I think is at play. Also, I've noticed that you know, certain communities that have been disproportionately harmed by the healthcare system in the past, you know, collective, collective history and collective memory is a thing. So certain communities that already are likely to be distrustful of health systems because of how they've been treated by them in the past, that has just been ramped up with all of this going on, you know, fear that, you know, if there's a shortage of ventilators, they are going to be the ones that are taken off first sacrificed, to get the right, other yeah. people right exactly. So people who already are coming in with an understandably low degree of trust in healthcare in general, this is just making that worse.
0: Right, and I feel like that's even like rippling out into society, right? Because one of the things you're seeing is right—you're seeing all these people say, "Hey, you need to wear masks," and there there are lots of laws and and different provisions that have been passed over the last you know ten years or so where people are not allowed to wear masks, and in fact, being wearing a mask in public is a sign of, of of sort of mistrust and so you see lots of persons of color saying you know you expect me now to wear a mask around when that's been one of the ways that 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 they that folks have felt like they've been identified as not being trustworthy um because of a mask combined with a you know certain um racial identity and, and so i think like those questions you know are sort of just continually cuz i think there's a lot of focus on like the common good but what happens when um, the common good is not an equal playing field. And so the, there's, there's more good for others than than maybe some other people. So I think, you know, we're seeing that emanate, the longer this goes on, the more those things are sort of rising to the surface.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a good friend of mine, you know, told me the other day, he's, he said, I never thought as a black man, I would willingly be going out with something covering my face, because people are automatically going to be suspicious of me because of great racism. And I think that, that's a struggle for a lot of people right now is, you know, do I, don't I, how am I going to be received with all of this going on and the context of the history of racism in the United States?
1: Yeah. That, that whole article, I don't remember where that article was that somebody wrote an op-ed on that exact issue. Mm And the, and the, the whole point of that op-ed was that there are a whole set of questions that would be raised by someone wearing a mask, mask who is a person of color, that right. are not raised by being white, and mm-hmm. that it, it, that is no different than, for example, within you know women's um, sex trauma, right? Within right. sexual trauma, there's all of these questions that we have to think about you don't walk down the street and you don't do this and you have that guys just never do. So it's a, it's a different sort wearing, of bias. You know, yeah. It's, it's a different thing. kind of right. bias well,
0: and, to, and, to, and to purposely be isolated in certain ways. When one of the goals that a lot of like a lot of women have to have when they go out, is to not, to not be by themselves, right? Like on purpose. Right.
1: How are you faring that Carly as a single female in Jacksonville? I am grateful that even before this started, I've always
2: felt safe in my own home. Um, I know that that is a, a luxury that, not all single women or married persons of of, of any of any type feel and so I'm grateful for that. In my daily walks there are times when I wonder, you know, maybe I I wish I wasn't by myself. Um but I know that it's the important thing to do. But I can't say that I've particularly felt unsafe.
1: You could al- you could always take your cat. <laughs> you you could walk your cat.
2: Yes. When I say she is an affectionate cat, she has never once scratched or bit me and I've had her for about a year and a half. Yeah. She's not particularly
0: fierce. <laughs> right. She's not going to protect she, you in any way. If somebody
2: were to, if somebody were to break in my house, she'd be like, Oh, hello, human. A new lap for me to sit on. Welcome. Right. Yeah, that's Come like pet our dog. me. Rub my belly. It's right here. I'm showing it to you.
1: Yeah. That's like our dog. That's her
2: MO. She's not particularly a guard cat.
1: <laughs> How is your ER faring? I mean, are folks showing up concerned about health issues that aren't perhaps COVID related or, are there concerns about being able to manage the ER where they're in light of the existing healthcare concerns? Like how are we going to manage heart attacks when people are going to start showing up in the ER with COVID, you know, COVID occurrences?
2: Yeah. um, And so, so candidly, I haven't spent a whole whole lot of time in in our ER um, since this all started, since I don't normally cover it, but I guess I will, I will learn more probably in the coming weeks. But the sense I get is that, we're trying really, really, really hard to get the message out to the community. Don't come to the ER if your symptoms are mild. Um, some people, you know, are worried about not having access to testing, which is understandable. Say so think, oh, if I go to the ER, then I can get tested. We have community testing sites and things like that that are available to them. But we are worried about people, you know, overloading the health system. That frankly, you know, none of our health systems are prepared to handle this um, on the scale that it potentially could come to. I know that's something that us in the stroke department are worried about, you know, because regardless of how this surge does or does not come in the coming weeks to months, people are still going to have strokes. People are still going to have heart attacks when we still need ICU beds for those people. So that is, I think, an underlying concern that is, I think, right below the surface with a lot of people, but it hasn't necessarily come to a head yet here.
0: Carly, one of the things we always ask folks on our podcast is where are you personally finding shelter during this time?
2: That's a great question. I think there are a couple layers to this. I think on a, on a more surface layer, I am finding so much shelter in the time I've gotten to spend virtually with friends. As an extrovert, like I mentioned earlier, I'm this is very hard for me, um, especially as somebody living alone in a city very far from where my family is. And my family's in Virginia, by the way. So, you know. Um, in that way I'm very isolated I'm finding shelter in the ability to get creative and still use that part of my brain um, I really enjoy playing around and making craft cocktails is a big hobby of
1: mine send recipes <laughs> will do I you will have seen um,
0: the cover photo of the podcast
1: <laughs> I have yeah I, I did
2: I came up with a recipe the other day for a a Quarantinas. I know a lot of people have been talking about Quarantinis, you know, they're making that joke where they're combining vodka and, and emergency. Don't do that. You're not supposed to do that. So unofficially, um, the Martinez is a classic cocktail, which is gin, sweet, remove, maraschino liqueur. But for my quarantines, I substituted the maraschino liqueur for a bar spoon of raspberry, uh, vitamin C powder, and a little bit of rose oh, n- water. Nice. With bar hill gin and um, flying fox spring vermouth from last year which is local from virginia um and it's actually quite a lovely well-balanced drink but you gotta drink it kind of fast because the we emergency no kind of settles weird and it it was it was a fun exercise i'll send you a picture of it um it's not the best cocktail out there but it was funny i was <laughs> like i'll ah, see if i can actually make a well-balanced uh you know quarantine Quarantine Carly, cocktail.
0: When this is all over and uh and we're able to, to see each other in person again, when you come to because annual conference, such as our regular annual meeting of Methodist pastors, when that when that's gonna be in Roanoke, you, you need to come to the porch, cause the Christian uh-huh. Joey's porch, and the, yes. you need to make some cocktails. That needs to be I will of,
2: bring my bar
1: supplies.
0: Yeah. Oh, I will and make they sure and, and we got it. plenty of supplies too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, we 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 stocked up
0: just a little bit. <laughs>
1: So besides the, um, the the sort of get gatherings with your friends online and the, the quarantinis, where else are you finding shelter?
2: Yeah. So um, I think, you know, those two are kind of like, you know, as a, as a chaplain and a pastor, obviously my faith is important to me. And as somebody who's not particularly mystical most of the time, I have a science background that's kind of, I tend to go brain first into things. But I would say in this time, particularly with it being this time of the year, it's, you know, Holy Week and Easter, I have leaned really hard on on some of those principles to help me through this. And I think particularly, you know, with looking at the time of year it is for folks like me from the Christian tradition, this is Holy Week, today's actually Good Friday, Um, but also, you know, looking for or looking at folks from the Jewish tradition, you know, with this being um, the week of Passover as well, I think has been speaking to me a lot in this this idea that right now things look pretty bad, but with the right amount of holy hunkering.
1: That sounds like something Batman should say. Holy
0: hunkering, or no, holy, bat- hunkering down, right? Batman. Yeah. Holy
2: hunkering, Batman. <laughs> holy hunkering. You know, in, in, in these times of years, when we're thinking about Easter Passover and um and this time it's it's that practice of holy hunkering right it's the we're going to stay inside we're going to sit we're going to watch we're going to wait we're going to pray and we're going to work as best we can with the the hope and the belief that deliverance is coming resurrection is coming and that that there is still hope at the end of the tunnel i i don't i don't know if it's you know in 3 days or in 30 days or you know 300 days. We don't know sort of when we're going to be able to stand on the other side of this and start to make meaning of what's just happened. But something that I'm holding on to for myself, but also that we're trying to communicate to folks in our hospitals and also I think just around the world is that this isn't the end. This isn't forever. We don't know how long it's going to be, but Easter is coming regardless of what it looks like or not.
1: So, Carly, we ask every guest to highlight a nonprofit that is near and dear to your hearts. So what would uh, what would yours be?
2: Yeah. So today, I'd like to plug the um, USBG, which stands for um, United States Bartenders Guild National Charity Foundation. A lot of um, some of my beloved friends uh, who are in the service industry as bartenders, chefs, servers. Um, are really being hit hard by this crisis, and so that foundation is helping to financially support persons in the service industry who are who are losing income and losing jobs because of what's going on. So I would commend that to you. And also, if you have a beloved bartender or server or fast food guy, pizza man, whoever you know, it has made your life better through food and drink. I would just recommend reaching out and offering. Word of encouragement, or even a virtual tip. I've done that with some of my bartender friends. Just Venmo them a couple bucks and say, "Hey, this is for you know my quarantine as I'm having at home tonight. I wish I could have bought it from you, and I know I'll see." I you love, again how, this soon. Um, I love
1: how this is all fitting as I love how this is all fitting in with you know our sponsor, which is SipTequila.com. I Sip <laughs> <laughs> just every oh, right. <laughs> every single
0: episode, somebody is saying something that. where I'm like able to go and SipTequila.com. If you want to find out more about the uh, United States bartenders guild uh national charity foundation you can go to usbgfoundation.org and they have a place right there for uh, their bartender emergency assistant program you can find out more about that on their website so thanks for sharing that with us carly uh one other uh our final question we ask all of our guests are uh, we have our shelter and playlist that you can find on spotify and so carly for you today what is your shelter and playlist song and why
2: My shelter and playlist song is Get Out the Map by the Indigo Girls. They have been my favorite band, my favorite theologians for years. And I think that their music speaks transcendence into normalcy, um, to say something um, kind of pretentious sounding. But I think it's true. And uh, this particular song has been speaking to me a lot recently because of my walking practice. You know, it says... I'm going to clear my head and I'm going to drink that sun. And I think that's what a lot of us need right now. So I commend that song to you. It's also super catchy. So it is going to get stuck in your head.
0: Well, Carly, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to us. We hope that you'll stay safe, stay well. And maybe let us check in with you in a, in a month or so and see how things are.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will send along Quarantina's picture and recipe.
0: Oh, that's awesome. All right. Take care. Talk to you later, Carly. All right. Bye. So we've come to the portion of our show where we give our shelter and playlist songs for this week's episode. Christine, what is your song for this week? "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Oh, that's a good one because you know that. Ha that, ha ha! ha live. Um, so, it, <laughs> it, but you know that's actually the, the, what they tell you to do when you are uh, giving CPR is it's that a, that's the beat that you're supposed to maintain. Mm, so it's actually very appropriate. For I'm the,
1: never going to unsee that now.
0: Yeah, it's me me doing the CPR motion. Yeah. Is that? Oh, wow. Well. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. No, so I was, just mean
1: the association of that song with CPR. Yeah, yeah that's right. Appointed. I mean, it
0: really, it really helps. So, um, if, you're, if you guys, y'all are not big office people, but if you did, there's a, a, whole, a whole great sequence of that where they do that and then the entire room breaks out into the actual song and, and they miss the point <laughs> of learning the song totally. Uh,
1: that's what this feels like.
0: <laughs> like we're losing control a little bit. You're losing control. What's yours? Uh, mine is uh, also a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, mine is uh, Somebody Get Me a Doctor by Van Halen. Uh, I don't
1: even remember that song. How so, does that song go? Uh,
0: you don't want me to try to emulate <laughs> Daily Roth. Just go to Spotify, go to the shelter and playlist and you listen to it there and let D- let DLR take care of it himself. Uh,
1: Daily Roth.
0: So good, good. Don't forget uh, shelter and playlist. You can find that on Spotify uh, and please continue to send us your shelter and playlist uh, options. We will uh, add them to the list as we get them. We hope you'll join us next time. Shelter in Place is an original podcast of Soul Group Media. It's produced by Joey Porch of Liquor Circle Productions. The theme song was written and performed by Joey and Zella Porch. If you would like to find out more about the podcast and Soul Group Media, you can visit our website, soulgroupmedia.com. That's S-O-U-L-G-R-O-U-P-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or find us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. It helps others to find the podcast and hunker down with us.